The uh, one thing I want to remind you of uh, this coming Friday, there's going to be uh, a deal that's going to be the state, kind of like the Stations of the Cross, and and partly I I want you to, if you can, go to that because. We're going to read about the crucifixion and the cross today, and there are so many colored, variable meanings uh, that can branch off of the applications of the cross and what it could do. We We could spend an entire year on all the different aspects of what the cross does, what it means, how it applies to your life. And and there in the station, you're going to kind of pick out some different ones as you go through. I want to remind you, when you come here to service and you... You are singing the songs. Uh, maybe, maybe there's just maybe one uh, phrase of words that you read or you hear upon here, and it just touches your heart. And you know what I mean when it grabs a hold of you. You can't, you can't even go on to, to the next uh, chorus. You can't go on to the next words because it has so richly grabbed you. My word to you is don't try to go on from that. Don't try to go on to the next verse. Uh, if, if Even if some of the songs and the music came to you and, and it hits you and you're still meditating on it, you don't have to listen to me. You don't have to go ahead and as I'm going and sharing some things and maybe one thing stands out that just grabs you, what we're looking for is where the Holy Spirit is working, where the Holy Spirit is touching you today. And it's nothing wrong. As a matter of fact, it is the way God works that sometimes people say, well, my mind was wandering. If you're touched by God and your heart is touched by God while you're going through, don't try to race away from that. Stay there. Embrace it. Even in solitude, as, as my many words come out, if God has touched your heart in a certain spot, please don't try to follow anything. Stay where God has touched you. I believe he knows each of you individually, and he's going to work there. We're going to look at one aspect uh, of the crucifixion. And, uh, but first, let's go ahead and look in chapter Mark, I mean the book of Mark, chapter 15. And we're going to go starting with verse 22. It's the account of the crucifixion. And we're going to pick one aspect of what this does and how it applies to our life. Starting with verse 22. And they brought him to the place Gagatha, which is translated the place of skull. And they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, and he would not take it. And they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each would take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And they crucified two robbers with him, one on the right and one on his left. And the scriptures were fulfilled, which says, And he was numbered with the transgressors. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha, you're going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. And in the same way, the chief priests also among with the scribes were mocking him among themselves and saying he saved others. He cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from this cross so that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him were also casting the same insults at him. 
And when the sixth hour had come, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. And the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sapakati, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he's calling for Elijah. And some ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave him to drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come down to him. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way that he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. When I signed to play baseball and I went out to my first minor league assignment, I, I came out and I felt a little odd. Everybody had already been there because we were, we were drafted in the middle of June and so the season was half, half over for the people playing baseball. And I remember going there and Nancy and I came to a certain little town and we uh, kind of hauled two dogs in a little duster car and we drove down there and they got the uniform and they said okay we're going to go ahead and play and after the, we first started playing uh, we had to take a road trip and in taking the road trip everybody would pick their roommates and of course I knew nobody uh, and so I had no idea what I was going to do you know just kind of kind of like the kids standing out there hoping somebody choose me choose me and uh, one person uh, said, why don't you room with me? And I roomed with him uh, that day. And for the following next three years, I roomed with him every day. He became a, a dear friend. He came to faith uh, in some real hurting times in his life. God allowed me to bring him the gospel of Jesus Christ. He came to faith. Uh, that I would, Nancy and I would do pretty much anything for them. And so after I was injured and, and my career was over and God called me into a different career, there were many times that uh, I would fly back to California and maybe visit or counsel with some of the ball players. He remained a friend. He remained a dear friend. And after he then uh, left baseball, we, I got a phone call that said he had liked to move to Rapid City. And... Uh, part of me was a little nervous. I have a lot of people already in my life. I thought, okay, but he moved here, and in the process of him living here, uh, things were going a little tough for him, and God put on Nancy's in my heart to purchase a car for him and buy a car for him, and, and we, we did it as a loan. He didn't have enough money, so we gave him uh, a car. And as the season went on, uh, that he was coaching here in one of the teams here, I found that he would isolate himself from me. And, and he would go ahead, and I'd be going down here, and I'd see him, and I could tell he kind of was going the other direction. And I, I was wondering, what, what's going on with him? And... Over and over again, that began to happen until pretty soon I found out that he left town without saying goodbye, without contacting me, took the car, haven't heard from him since, 11 years later. You see, 
what happened is in his life, he did not understand that when, when Nancy and I made a loan to him, our loan was made to him with no conditions. He had three years of watching us love on him, take care of him. If he could not afford to pay back the car, it was going to be okay. But because he felt guilty, because he was not paying for the car, did not pay for the car, and could not pay for the car, he isolated himself and he hid from our presence up till this day. I wonder how many of you in here and me, when somehow we do not understand what took place that night on the cross, that there was true forgiveness from your guilt of something and a debt that you owe. But because we owe this debt and we know inside it, way down deep inside us, there are just uh, hidden little secret sins that you have that you really do not comprehend and you do not understand that you are forgiven completely. Never to be held against you ever again. Never brought up when you show your face. But because we do not know that, we hide. We run. We don't feel we can come before God. We don't understand the freedom from guilt in our life truly. And so we cover ourselves and we run and we hide. Or we blame, which is another way we do it. We blame other people. And today I'd like us to look at something because I think if we could help even today walk away from here that every single person standing and sitting out here could know absolutely for certain, not that you're just forgiven, but you no longer need to carry guilt another day the rest of your life. And when you understand that fully, I mean, your heart knows what I'm saying is true, but your head doesn't have, isn't renewed to that fact yet. When you begin to wrap this around your mind and you begin to renew it, it says you will hurry and draw near to the presence of God. You see, if, if he understood that I gave him the car, that Nancy and I gave him the car, and that was his, there was no debt, nothing there, he would not have hidden from us whatsoever. He would have probably been drawn to us. So what is it in your life and my life? The, the, the secret little things, or, or they're sometimes they're never secret. I know mine aren't secret. Because uh, mine that I'll be confessing to you a little bit here are things that are, are well known. Sometimes I, I like people that come to me and they tell me about their secret little sins. And, and I think, well, that's okay. I like you just as much. I said, sorry, mine aren't secret. Mine are right out in the front. And if you do not understand you're forgiven and that you're guilt-free and that will never be held against you again, your God does not look down at you and kind of roll his eyes when you do it again, you will turn into a chain sinner. Some of you younger guys, we call people that smoked all the time chain smokers. That's a term that marks my age. Because what we end up doing is we, we have whatever it might be. 
Maybe it's that, that outburst of anger that we swear, I'll never do this again. Maybe it's that, that binge, okay, I'm not going to binge again. I'm, I'm going to never binge again. Maybe it's that addiction that we have with either some type of substance or, or food or alcohol. Maybe it's that we, we gossip about somebody and we can't stand when we walk away that I, I did it again. Or judgment. We make judgment of somebody and we find ourselves already into a deep conversation and we stop and we say, God, why does this keep repeating itself? I have, I wish you could see this, in the back of my Bible, I've got four pages that are written in tiny, Nancy loves the way I write, she can, nobody can read it but me because it's so tiny, four pages of verses that how to control my tongue when I'm in a group setting. I get into a group, I, no matter what evening I go out to, matter of fact, we went out with a good couple of friends last night, they took us out for dinner. Every time I go, I say, God, put a hedge around my mouth. I want bob wire around my tongue so it will not speak. It's okay to have silence. I don't have to fill the air. And I mean halfway through, it's just boom, and it burst right out. And I'll walk away and I'll say, oh, I did it again. I won't do it again. Okay, that's the last time. Anybody ever pray prayers like that? It's not going to happen again. This is it. If you get me out of this one, I'm done. I'll never do this again. Or last week as Pat talked about Peter, not me. I will never do that. I will never deny you. We're doomed to continue and continue and continue as long as we do not understand your freedom from guilt. And so I hope at least the aspect that we look at today is going to take and say, let's look at this one aspect of the cross so that you can, when you take communion today, that you can get up and you can boldly walk to any of the stations today and you can walk there guaranteed. Not only you're forgiven, you are guilt-free and your sin will never be remembered against you ever again. It will never be brought up again. Ever. And if you can understand that, then you will be able to go ahead and not bring it up against yourself all the time. Now, we have a lot of, a lot of things that, that prevent that because Satan comes in and he is called the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us day and night and he comes before the throne of God and he accuses us and he says, do you remember what Tom did? Remember what he did when he was 16? And we're going to find out that an advocate comes right before him, cuts it off right there and says, uh-uh, it is finished never to be remembered against him ever again. So I want to turn to Colossians chapter 2. We have used this verse here a number of times. I want to stop and focus on it in a little more detail today. Colossians chapter 2. And I'm going to explain to you so you can understand what was the history and, and, and what was the, the culture at that time when this was written. Starting with verse 13. And when you were dead in your transgressions, your sins, your wrongs, 
and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, and which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, let's pick up a little bit of way back in the Roman time. This was understood by people in the Roman area where this was written in, in Colossae. What happened back then in the way that they would do this whole process that this verse comes from is when a person had committed some type of a crime or at least was accused of some type of a crime and found guilty of that crime, they were going ahead and taken into a chamber which was uh, they'd walk them into the cells and they'd go down into these little, uh, and I've seen where these are in Rome, and they'd walk into these different rooms down there and have bars down there, and they'd put them behind the bars, and then they would take this certificate of debt. And the certificate of debt was all of the things that they had done wrong. And they would nail that to that door so that when you went in, it was nailed to the door, and across from the certificate of debt was the payment that you had to pay, the amount of days that you had to be there or the floggings that you had to take while you were there. And they would walk by, uh, the, the guards would walk by and they'd, they'd come by and say, Toby, we have this one down for you. This has this many flogs and this many days. You've already paid this. And they'd cross that one out. And then they'd come back the next day and say, well, this was another one that you did. They'd cross that out and continue to do so until they would come over uh, when it was all paid, all of the things were crossed out, they would come there and they would actually write on top of that certificate, paid in full. And they would give that certificate to Toby. Toby would take that certificate, walk out as a free man Never could any of those ever be held against him again, and never would he have to pay for any of those again. He could have the certificate, he'd keep it with him, and he would just hold that up. And so this is kind of the background of what we've got. And, and when it says that having canceled off the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, the decrees, the, these were hostile to us. Do you know the, I don't know if you realize the law is hostile to you because the law arouses sin in you. The very power of sin is from the law. And it's hostile to you because the law, fulfilling its purpose, brings about your sin. Paul says, I didn't even know what coveting was until you said, thou shalt not covet. Now I covet of every kind. It's hostile to us. It's against us. And if, if you were to take my life and have a kind of an axiom up here, and you start over here in 33 A.D., when this night took place at the cross, 33 A.D., when this terrible night came onto Jesus, and it came to where darkness came over him, the whole land became dark. 33 A.D., and now let's move way ahead, all the way up to 1953. That is my birth. Oh, you don't have to do the math. Wait till later. Okay. Right here. 
And let's move all the way up from 33 to 1970 when I understood the gospel and the veil was lifted off my eyes and I accepted that which Christ did to me and in 1970 I came to faith. And let's move over here. I won't tell you the date, but this is where I die and go to heaven or God comes back. Now you've got this whole axiom here and you've got this whole thing here and we go all the way back to 33 and right back here Jesus says, and he forgave Bill, all of his transgressions, all of them. Not just the ones that I commit up to this point. Not just the ones from when I was born to up to where I came to faith and it said, now I confess this. It's not just those, but he said all, past, present, future, all the way across. And in John 19.30, when Jesus was hanging on the cross after that dark, dark time where the Father said that he would turn his face from him and he hung a God-forsaken man on the cross, everything went dark. The entire land went dark because the presence of God no longer looked upon him and it was dark. And then what happened is the light began to come out and his last few words that he said there on that dark, dark time when the light began to come out. Well, first in the darkness, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That I hang here a God-forsaken man. Because he took on every single sin, every single thought, every single act that I would do from beginning to end, and it came upon him. And that's why the songs, when it says, that my, my voice was amongst the mocking ones keeping him hanging on the cross. That your sins, those things you do over and over again that you continue to do, hung him there. And he looked at it, and then that last hour, he makes some statements. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then after that, the light began to come out and he says, once again, united with God, he says, now, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Testelestai. Everybody knew what that meant. That was the same word that was put over Toby's paper that said, paid in full. It is finished. Finished means it will never be held against me ever again. Never. Whatever you've done, however gross or however deep you might think your sin has been, it is finished. Paid in full. It was hostile to you. No longer. No longer. Hebrews 10 17 says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. No, now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin ever again. You see, if you don't understand this, you will continually hide and you won't receive the gifts and the fruits that God has for you. There's a, a dear friend, uh, that does not understand this and continually does the chain sinning. And every time he gets caught in one of the sins, he basically beats himself up, condemns himself, and he goes into a 
shame thing, which we're going to talk about in a minute, how absolutely dangerous that is. But in doing so, can never receive love from anybody. There's some gifts that uh, in the recent uh, months where all the deaths in our family took place, we had some things that we could give away. We had things nobody needed, so we found people that might have a need for them, and we would bring them uh, to people and give them to them. And this person would not take the gift, wouldn't even look at the gift, would be so shamed, could not take a gift that was so needed for them. And the comment was, I could never deserve this. I could never deserve this. And would walk away in shame. There are some scriptures that I think are really, really important that we look at. It said, in Hebrews 9, 28, it says, So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, shall appear a second time for freedom without ever making reference to the sin of those. So therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. For if the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Way even back in the psalm, the psalmist in Psalm 130 says, if you would mark iniquity, who could ever stand? And the word mark iniquity means if you were to put a fence around me and then fence me in with all of the wrongs that I will do in my life, they would smother me to death. This is every human being. He said, who could stand? But the next verse says, but there is forgiveness with you. There is pardon with you. Therefore, I will draw near to you and you will become my God. And so there was a drawing near. When you understand it, you can receive the gifts of God. You can receive the compliments. You can receive things. But if you continue to live in shame, you won't. Now here's what I want you to just listen to. There's a number of verses that I'll look at in a second. If you will not receive this type of freedom from guilt, it is actually worse than the presence of sin in your life. Let me repeat that. This is actually Galatians 2.21. If you will not accept the freedom of what he did on the cross and what he went through on the cross and said, wipe it clean, never look back to it again, if you will not do that and you're going to wallow in your shame and think, well, I need to feel bad about this again, it is worse than the very presence of sin because it says if you're going to do that, you're going to nullify the grace of God. That means you're going to say, Jesus, your payment was not enough that night. That horrible, terrible night was not sufficient. I'm going to add on to the cross by I'm going to feel bad. So, And I got good at this in, in the church that I grew up because we would go to confession, and as long as I got my confession in, I would feel pretty good about it Okay, after I was done. Now, the purpose of confession was actually good, to confess my sins one to another. But the thing is, if I will not accept this forgiveness, if I will not, and if you will not accept the fact that it is finished, it is done. 
And I've been around many of you in here that have brought to me some of the, your horriblest sins that you've ever done, and you thought, somehow, if I even bring this out in the open, I'll never, ever be able to live in this town again. And those that actually understand this type of forgiveness in their own life can extend it real easily to other people. I can honestly tell you this today, nobody in here could share with me anything you've done, no matter how horrible you think it's done, and it would make me think worse of you than what I realize God has forgiven me for. We list all of these horrible things, and we start with all of the horrible ones that we give the big penalties for. Do you know when God says there are six things, matter of fact, seven things that are an abomination to me? What are the ones he lists? Arrogant, prideful eyes, people's mouth who cause division with the brothers and sisters, lying tongues. You know, I noticed when I went through those nine or those eight things, not one of them was the sins that we all marked down. We pick and choose. We pick and choose. So I'm going to ask you to consider something. We're going to have communion today, and there's stations at different communion spots. Matter of fact, Tom, why don't you, is he gone? The musicians, why don't you come up, because we'll get ready to go ahead and do this. I am not telling you that you do not acknowledge when you sin. But I want you to know that it's way different than what probably we were taught whenever we sin, whenever we fall short, whenever we, we gossip, whenever we belittle a brother or sister, whenever we drink again, or whenever we get caught in pornography again, and we do it again and again, that if you go ahead and get caught that, I am not saying you don't acknowledge it. But the word basically in the New Testament never says that you go out and start to confess to get forgiveness again. It is finished. The word simply means agree and acknowledge that he already paid in full and this was operating against your nature of who you are. It's just agreeing with him and it should bring you to the fact that, God, I'm agreeing with you. You forgave this in 33 AD, and you'll never bring it against me again, and I'm going to accept what you did on the cross. I will not try to add on to that. And so, therefore, God, I am cleansed before you. I've agreed with you that that was wrong. Because I'm free from this guilt, I'm going to go, and I'm going to receive communion as a reminder of what you did for me so that you could therefore come and live inside me and you would be my body, my blood inside me. That's why we go to communion. If you are still holding some guilt against you and you still can't let go of it, don't go to communion because it's a mockery of the things of God. But if you're willing to say, okay, today is the day. On the 9th of April, I am going to once and for all, not that I won't once and for all never sin again, but once and for all, I'm going to receive what you did, and I'm going to grab the certificate, and I'm going to bring it with me wherever I go. Bill Ewing, paid in full, never to be held against me ever again. And because of that, I can receive communion and do it in remembrance of what happened that night at the cross. Pray with me. And then I want you to do this as they sing their song.
there's going to be incredible words in this song. I want you to listen, and when God touches your heart, whether it's a song you heard earlier today or some phrase in here, I want you, when you realize I'm forgiven, paid in full, get up, go to the nearest station you have, and thank God for what he did, and do it in remembrance of what he did. Father, thank you that you... I can't even comprehend this. It said that even in that phrase, it says that you would actually die for me. I cannot, I have no place and nowhere to put that in my mind. I don't comprehend that kind of love, but you said it is so. And by faith, we as a body here agree to accept what you did that horrible night and to accept when you yelled out and became light again, united with your Father again. It is finished, paid in full. I pray that we will accept that and embrace it and go on then to be a container of your love to others. Speak in our hearts as we ready ourselves to receive your communion. Amen.